turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko's message today is entitled, The Kingdom Clash. That's The Kingdom Clash, and you can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with The Kingdom Clash. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Where would we be without the cross? Where would we be without power that came at Calvary to save us from ourselves? Where would we be without Christ in the wilderness shutting down? His bio sign shutting down as He was emaciated like someone out of Auschwitz because He endured starvation and hunger and then wretched temptation that the human race might be redeemed from Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Father, we don't understand this. We must embrace it. Embrace Jesus. Thank you, Father, that when kingdoms clash, the kingdom of God wins and the king of the world crashes. Thank you for Jesus Christ who can break it with a rod of iron. In His name, Amen. The ancient historian Herodotus told the story of King Croesus who ruled the city of Sardis, which is in present-day Turkey. A couple years ago, I went to Turkey and uh, I took some photographs of the city of Sardis, which was the capital of the Lydian Empire, which he, of course, was king over. His kingdom was the kingdom of Lydia. And Croesus was a man who was looking to make a name for himself above all the kings of the world. He wanted his kingdom to be a world kingdom and the ambitions of Cyrus, king of Persia, stood in the way. So he had an adversary. The advancing armies of Cyrus were a threat that would have to be faced sooner or later by the king. And wise kings know that if you cannot defeat your enemy, you make peace with him. If you can defeat your enemy, you go to war. If you can't win the war, you make a treaty and you save your kingdom, your own neck, and your hide. And this is the law of kings, and Croesus was no exception to this law. So King Croesus journeyed to the oracle of Delphi, dedicated to the Greek god Apollo, and he asked the oracle what would happen if he were to go and fight against Cyrus. The oracle told the king that if he crossed the river Halys and battled Cyrus, king of Persia, he would cause a great kingdom to be destroyed. That was all Croesus needed to hear. He crossed the river, and to his amazement, he was defeated by King Cyrus. Cyrus condemned him to death by fire on a large pyre, and legend has it that Croesus was miraculously saved by a rainstorm that was sent by the Greek god Apollo as he cried out to him for help. Of course, we don't believe that to be true, but that's what legend says. Finally, a much humiliated Croesus found his way back to the oracle of Delphi, and he asked the question with bitterness and tears, what happened? What went wrong? He spoke to the oracle, you told me if I crossed the river, I would cause a great kingdom to be destroyed. What happened? What went wrong? And the priestess, as she was sitting there over the fumes, trying to connect with the gods, she replied, the kingdom you caused to be destroyed was your own kingdom. 
You should have asked me which kingdom would be destroyed, and I would have told you it would have been yours. Yeah. Well, the ancient word Delphi means ambiguous. The Oracle of Delphi is famous for this kind of prophecy that can go either way. Now, I'm thankful today that God's prophetic word is not like that. God does not play tricks with us with the Bible. When He speaks His word, it is clear. When He communicates His Word, if we are humble students of the Scriptures, open to the Holy Spirit, we can receive divine instruction and know the clear will of God. Christ said in John 7, 17, if any man's will is to do God's will, he will know this teaching that it is from God. It is the law of kings that you make peace with the kingdom you cannot conquer. Dear heart, there is a kingdom that is coming at the end of time. And the Bible teaches that that kingdom has been set up in the pre-advent judgment, which is the marriage of the Lamb. It is the kingdom of heaven and that heavenly judgment. And when that kingdom comes and Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, you cannot overcome that kingdom. You cannot conquer that kingdom. You must surrender to that kingdom to have a future. The gospel ministry of Jesus began with the proclamation that the kingdom of God is here. That the kingdom that is coming in glory, the kingdom that will be here at the end of the age, that in the coming of Jesus Christ, that kingdom has come near to you and me. Take your Bibles. Let's turn to Mark 1, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, And immediately the Spirit driveth Jesus into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. And now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting. Christ didn't preach good advice. He didn't preach things which were meant to weigh the soul down. When he broke out of the desert, he was preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. Dear heart, the call to us today is to repent and believe in the gospel, to surrender our lives, our attitudes, our actions to Jesus Christ, to believe the good news of God's forgiveness, and to be set free by the verdict of Jesus Christ to live for God and to no longer live for ourselves. In all three Gospels, the ministry of Jesus starts after his victory over the devil in the wilderness. You see, for him to teach and preach to us, he had to defeat the devil there. He had to go on the devil's land and the devil's ground and defeat him before he could claim it for us. God told Pharaoh in Exodus 5 to let Israel go into the wilderness to have a feast for God. He told Moses to tell Pharaoh that Israel is his firstborn son and to let my son go. And Pharaoh refused to release Israel, and he watched his kingdom ravaged by ten horrific plagues. Now, like Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus went through the water and he came out of it. Paul says that Israel was baptized into the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. Christ was baptized into the Jordan River, and he came out. There's a parallel. After the Red Sea, the children of Israel were tempted by the devil during the 40 years in the wilderness. Christ was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days tempted by the devil. Israel left the wilderness for the promised land. And Christ left the wilderness 
He began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the promised land. So there's no missing it here. In all three gospels, Jesus retraces the path of ancient Israel. He goes over the ground where they failed. And where they fail, He succeeds. When they fall to temptation, He does not. And so what Christ is doing in the gospel story, Christ is redeeming the history of ancient Israel as God's Israel as Israel in one man, so that every human being who's ever lived on the face of earth has a new history, has a new beginning, has a future that is not based on their failures, but is based on His success. Dear heart, we have a choice to make as Christians. We can choose our life record with its good points and its bad points. Or we can choose to be in Jesus Christ who has retraced our history and redeemed it from our own failures. All the promises of God given to Israel. Paul says the yes to all of them comes in Jesus Christ. Christ is the good news of the coming kingdom. There were three reasons God led Israel into the wilderness. I'd like to share them with you. Reason number one. In the Old Testament, God chose to feed Israel with bread from heaven in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, I brought you into the wilderness to feed you with the word of God so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The bread was called manna. Manna in the Hebrew means, what is it? They ate, what is it, for 40 years as they learned to trust God for bread. I was sitting at the table a few years ago. And I did this once in life. I will never do it again. I sat at the table. My wife placed her Thai dish before me. She's not here, so I'm okay saying this. You better not go sharing it with her when she gets back from Tennessee. And she put her food down. And I said, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? And she looked at me. What do you think it is? It's good, sweetheart. I ate it. Don't tell your wife what is it. Now, God has a sense of humor. As Israel was taking this food from heaven, they looked at it and said, what is it? And God was smiling down. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. What is it? Doesn't matter. Eat it. That's what you should do, husbands. You don't ask your wife that question. Psalm 78, 24 And it says, and God rained down upon them manna. What is it to eat? And gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. Key verse there. He sent them food in abundance. The bread was angel bread. And there was lots of it for everyone. What is it is angel bread? Reason number two. In the Old Testament, God led Israel into the wilderness to give them a kingdom. Not just to feed them with angel bread, but to give them a kingdom. And when he gave them his law, he formed a covenant with them, and they became his special kingdom of all the earth. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, that means his law, you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. The Hebrew is segula. You will be for me a royal possession, a prized treasure, the pearl of all the world. You will be for me. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, reason number three, he brought them into the desert. God bore Israel out on eagle's wings. 
The Bible compares angels to eagles. On eagles' wings, angel wings, into the desert. Israel is a kingdom that was carried by heavenly wings into the desert. They didn't have to fall and falter. They were carried and borne up by angels in the desert. And that is one of the signs of Israel that it would in fact be carried by angelic power through times of difficulty. Exodus 19.4, God told Moses, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Dear heart, if you have come to God today, If you've given your heart to Christ, you didn't get here because you were strong enough to find Him. The hardship in your life, the difficulties you have faced, the challenges of your experience, you were born on angels' wings through your life experience to come to the foot of the cross and give your life to Christ. It's not an accident you have become a Christian. It's not an accident you stay a Christian. There were three reasons God led Israel into the wilderness. Number one, to feed them with angel bread. Number two, to give them a kingdom. Number three, to carry them on eagles' wings. Now, the history of Israel provides the essential context for the devil's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness because Christ is the new Israel. Christ retraces the footsteps of ancient Israel and what happened to them, you would expect to happen to him. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Christ was hungry. Jesus was severely tempted after his baptism. Some people wonder why some folk fall away after they're baptized. Dear heart, Christ was tempted after his baptism. And when our dear friends are baptized, we need to surround them and encourage them. Not talk about the trouble they might face, but tell them that we're with them. And that God loves them. Dear heart, Christ was tempted after his baptism. The devil doesn't like the fact you were baptized. He knows that it placed you in Christ and in the judgment day, the baptism that you have experienced is the argument you will have to say, I cannot be prosecuted. Romans 6-7 says the person who has been baptized into Christ has been justified and freed from the power of death. Dear heart, it is our legal connection to Christ. And Christ as Our example was baptized, and so the devil went after him after his baptism. The Greek aggressive use of the aorist verb indicates that he was hungry in the desert, but literally, his hunger was hungry. It was a hungry kind of hunger. It's intensive. His body started crying out for food to live. He'd endured 40 days with no food, and it all settled on him at the end of the 40 days. He was hungry, but at the end of the 40 days, he had a hungry hunger. Now, my wife's been gone for about a week and a half. Her mother had surgery. Thank you for praying for her mother. I've received a number of telephone calls, and she's doing better. Continue to pray for her eyesight. But I've been hungry. You know, my wife cooks for me, makes sure that my blood sugar doesn't drop. I'm a little hypoglycemic at times. And I can't wait for my wife to get back because I have a hungry kind of hunger. But when Christ fasted for 40 days... At the end of that time period, he was really shutting down. His whole body was screaming and crying out for food, anything to survive. Christ had heard the words of God at the River Jordan when he was baptized. Luke 3, 22, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove, and a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. He had heard that. 
In Exodus 4.22, God told Moses that Israel was God's firstborn son. God fed his firstborn son with the bread of angels. He led Israel into the desert and poured manna, what is it, onto the ground. And they picked it up and they ate it. Now Christ was dying for need of bread and he is the true Israel. The Bible says in Matthew, out of Egypt I called my son and Christ had come from Egypt. He is the true Israel. And how could a father let his son die of hunger like this? How could God, the God of Israel, lead Israel into the desert and die for want of food? Christ was Israel. And as Jesus looked upon the stones and he looked like someone from Auschwitz, he saw someone standing beside them with a word of comfort and hope and it looked like heaven had intervened. Luke 4, 3, and the Bible says the devil said to him. You know, sometimes when you pray for something, the devil comes first. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, I doubt the devil looked like the devil when he spoke to Jesus that day. He probably looked like an angel from heaven because he offered Jesus angel food with a spiritual glitch. He said, if you are the Son of God, Jesus' ear kind of turned to those words. Something wrong about them. The Bible says in Romans 5.1 that the Christian is justified by faith. And have you been justified by faith? We have peace with God. We don't have to prove things to God. We don't have to manipulate God. God loves us. God has forgiven us. And God gives us peace. And so the first temptation of Christ starts with an if. Because an if is the first step you can take towards unbelief. You can't be justified by faith and have a religion of ifs. The devil is a theologian, and he's a dark theologian. He starts his theology with an if. A father is supposed to feed his children. God is our father. Christ was hungry. The negative, dear heart, when we speak negative things about God, or about people in the church, or how we fail, or others fail, we give the devil a foothold in our experience. The negative leads to ifs. And we wonder if God has been leading us. And we cannot do this. Dear heart, when you're facing difficulty, when you're facing trouble, throw the ifs out of your experience and thank God for being with you whether you see it or not. Have faith in God. The if was a big if for Christ. The if implied that Jesus must prove the word of God for himself. That Christ somehow must vindicate God's word himself for God to be true. The if implied the father was not clearly acting like a father. What God said at the Jordan was not good enough for the hunger in the desert. That's what the angel was implying. The hungry hunger of Jesus was crying out for food. And this angel said, you have the power. Fix it yourself. Thou art my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what he had heard. That was the word of God at the river Jordan. But how does that feed you when you're hungry? With Jesus' glucose level dropping to the ground, it seemed a faint sound in the mind of Christ, an echo of a dream gone by. If means maybe God didn't speak to you in the first place. And maybe He won't feed you now unless you feed yourself. You know, we've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves, right? Well, it's not in your Bible. I think Benjamin Franklin said it. If means it's in your head maybe. And the only way to know is to prove it true yourself. The devil would have Jesus proved God's word instead of accepting God's word. Did you hear what I said? He would have him prove God's word instead of accepting his word. God has not given his word for you and me to prove. 
God has given us His Word to accept it as living bread. Christ answered the devil with the Word of God and let the stones be stones. In the first temptation of Christ, Jesus did not try to prove God true. He accepted the Word of God as truth. And He chose the Word of God over the bread that could save His physical life. He fed on God's Word. Dear heart, that's how we are to live. It's not by what you see in your bank account. It's not by whether or not you have a job that's predictable. It's not whether or not you can see the end and the outcome of your actions. Dear heart, God sustains you because God loves you. And if God asks you to lay down your life here for a future good, lay it down. God will take it up again. Luke 4, 4, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There are many people today who want to prove God's word rather than believe it. They aren't satisfied with following God's word. They can't prove it. They feel intellectually deficient and embarrassed. They don't feel like they're a good Christian because they can't give a reason for everything that God has said. Dear heart, as our example, Christ was not afraid or embarrassed to obey the word of God even when he didn't understand what it meant. Did you hear me? He didn't have to know all the whys. And that's what faith is, isn't it? To obey God even when it doesn't make sense to you. Christ defeated the devil with the word of God. Jesus was a Bible-believing believer. And he was a person who put his confidence in the Scriptures. Luke 4, 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The Greek word says in a stigma of time. The Greek word would indicate a puncture, a point, a moment of time. I don't know how the devil did it, but he must be some higher energy being who is able to accelerate thought an accelerated experience to where you can compact so much information into a single instant. And here he was interfacing with the human nature of Christ, pouring tons of information through his mind instantly. How it happened, I don't know. In verse 6, and he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall be yours. Now, God led Israel in the desert to give them a kingdom. Christ knew this. He would expect that in the desert somehow he would receive a kingdom. And now the devil shows up and he offers Jesus the kingdom of the world. He says, it's all been given to me and I'll give it to you. The devil offered Jesus the kingdom singular of the world. Now, the 20th century British evangelist Alan Redpath once said, before we can pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. You see, you must be willing to let go of your kingdom to have God's kingdom. Jesus could not accept the kingdom of the world and receive the kingdom of heaven at the same time. The two kingdoms clash and one must crash. The two kingdoms are incompatible empires. And what the world has to offer cannot stand beside what God has to offer you, dear heart. Napoleon Bonaparte once said this. He said, I am surrounded by priests who repeat incessantly that their kingdom is not of this world, and yet they lay their hands on everything they can get. And so the devil offered Jesus everything you get. Everything in the world, he said, I'll give it to you, it's yours. Now the Greek word for world is oikomene, and it means in ancient Greek literature, the inhabited world of the Greek culture in contrast to the barbarian world of the frontier. It means the civilized Greek world. Now in Jesus' day, the inhabited world of Greek culture was the Roman Empire. The city of Rome was the center of the oikomene, It was the capital of the kingdom of the earth. And you know what the devil did? 
He offered Jesus the Roman Empire in the desert and the throne of the city of Rome. Set your kingdom up in Rome, he said. I will make you sit upon the throne of the Caesars. Rome was built on seven hills. Perhaps he took him to the highest hill, to the high place, and showed him the grandeur of all the world. And Rome is the queen of the cities of the world, the center of the oikomene of the inhabited Hellenistic world. It was the place where civilization moved out. He said, I will yank the emperor Tiberius off his throne in the city of Rome, and I will give you the seat of the emperors. Hail Caesar! Hail Jesus Christ! Well, unfortunately, we'll have to wait till the next time to hear the conclusion to The Kingdom Clash. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment even. We have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. 